Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to join me over in the book of 1 Peter, if you will, 1 Peter chapter number 1, if you will. 1 Peter chapter number 1. I want to welcome all of you here and say thank you for getting up and getting here early in the morning. Amen. Uh, I said, man, look at all the folk early this morning. Y'all crazy. Uh, But I'm glad you're good crazy, right? Uh, I told somebody, it's sort of like you're getting up to go hunting or something. You know, you got up early and you got here and got dressed. And I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is here. I believe He's going to meet with us in a mighty way this morning. A lot of prayers have gone into our time uh, together today. So I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my heart. And in your heart, if you're our guest this morning, if you'll notice on the chair in front of you, every other chair or so, there's a little QR code. If you would, take your phone at some point and just scan that thing and give us a little information so that we can be the church to you, all right? And the church, we're not just here to try to get you to come on Sunday, um, but to minister to you. So if you can help us by doing that, we will be able to minister to you better if you'll help us have some information, okay, of how we can do that. First Peter chapter 1, I want to begin this morning in verse number 3, and I'm going to read down through verse number 7. But before I do that, to give you a little background as to what's happening here in the text. Uh, this letter is written by the man who said to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I will follow you to the end of wherever we go. He said, as a matter of fact, Jesus, if it costs me my life, I will never stop following you. I'll go wherever you go. I'll never deny you. I'll follow you all the way to the finish line. Jesus said back to him because he knows all things. He said, no, you won't do that. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. In the gospel according to Luke, Luke said that Jesus said to Peter, no, you're not going to do that. Matter of fact, you're going to deny me more than once, even before the rooster crows. And so as Jesus said that, Um, Peter's like, no way, I'm going to follow you all the way in. Well, we know what happens. Jesus was right. Peter was wrong. But even in the midst of that, uh, we see in the resurrection of Jesus a restoration of Peter. Now, here's that same Peter, that same Peter who was denying that he even knew Jesus' name publicly has now been inspired of the Holy Ghost and has written a letter to a group of Christians whose homes have been burned, their businesses have been burned, their town has been burned. You see, Nero was a leader who loved to build, and when he ran out of room to build, he burned down. And when he burned down, uh, the people didn't respond well to that, Christian and non-Christian. Neither one, you could understand that, right? Somebody burnt your house down, you're not going to be too happy about that, or your business down. And so the people decided they were angry, and Nero blamed the Christians, who had also lost their possessions and stuff, but now they were suffering extra persecution because they were being blamed for what happened. Can you put yourself in their shoes? You're talking about a difficult circumstance. Everything is burned and lost in fire, and you're being blamed for it. So you'd expect First Peter to be a letter that says this, hey, y'all just get together and hug each other and have a group hug and bless your little hearts, you know, and y'all just hold hands and, and just, you know, don't worry about it. And in fact, you don't see that. You see a challenge from God's man that says, now this is the hour for you to really shine in the midst of your difficult circumstance. So maybe you've come in today and you've had some difficult circumstances. You're going to be able to relate to what God is saying to his people, okay? Now let me tell you some of the difficult seasons that I have been in in my life and why. Over the journey of my life, I have placed hope in some of the wrong things. 
Now, what I mean by that, as a little child, I put hope in my parents, right? In other words, you know how little kids do. We think our parents hung the moon, and so I put my hope in my parents in the fact that all of my joy and all of my uh, provision, everything that I needed was going to come from my mom and dad. Uh, and, but in the early years, they struggled with alcohol and abusing prescription medication, and so there was a little bit, can we just have a little bit of chaos at home? Um, and maybe that was your circumstance, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe your circumstance was wonderful at home, but here's what I know. There's not a mama and daddy on planet earth that are perfect. So we'll find if we put all our hope, all of our hope on them, well, our joy is not going to be what it ought to be because mom and dad are going to let us down at some point because they're human. Next, uh, as I continued on the journey, I shifted my hope, and I put my hope into a sport and my accomplishments there. Uh, I began to play football and was receiving some notoriety, visiting some SEC schools. Man, I was so excited. I couldn't wait to go play for uh, Jackie Sherrill at Mississippi State, and, and I had placed all of my hope. And I was, every time I did well and made it to the newspaper, I was so full of joy. Uh, the problem is, by junior year, I tore my knee up. And so I learned another hard lesson that, that, that not only are my parents not worthy to put all my hope in, but also uh, sports weren't worthy of putting all my hope in. And as the journey continued, I just sort of shifted from one thing to the next. I went from there, uh, too, because there was a lot of uh, disappointment, a lot of discouragement there. And so what I turned to then was having fun. You ever put hope in having fun? Hey, it works for a little while, doesn't it? I mean, as long as you're having fun. It's all right, man. You forget about the pain, and you forget about what you're going through. And so, man, I would hit these bar rooms, and I would start. I would get to drinking, and as I would get to drinking, uh, it would unlock this guy that was down in there that was very violent. And, man, I'm telling you, before long, uh, the club owners are coming to me and saying, hey, listen, you're tearing the place up. We're going to just pay you and stay on the clock and only, only tear up the bad pe people that are causing problems. And so I put my hope then in having fun. The problem is you can't stay drunk. And so you sober up, and then you realize all the stuff that you were dealing with is still there. You, you, you with me? And so I did that for a while, and I put my hope there. And then, of course, what would happen is when the lights were down and when the, and when the sobriety hit, I'm telling you um, that I found myself in a place of, well, there were moments of hopelessness. And from there, it was my uh, work career. And I, uh, can you believe putting your hope in laying asphalt? You knew I was crazy, didn't you? And for a long time, I laid asphalt, but I was, man, I enjoyed the company, enjoyed the work, and put my hope there. Um, but then as seasons progress, you find out you can't put your hope in your career. And so this morning, I want to just, if I could, uh, take from 1 Peter and the resurrection of Jesus and offer to you somebody that you can put your full hope on, and your joy will remain full until the end of your days. Now, doesn't that sound like a great offering? Uh, so, uh, without further ado, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word, and I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3. Okay, you guys there? All right. Can we smile together one time early this morning? Hallelujah. And uh, also, this is our live stream service because of some technical difficulties we've, we've been having. Uh, this service will be live streamed at 1015. So, we welcome them as they join in at that time. Now, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Uh, verse number three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a, help me out, living hope. We just sang about that. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you 
who were kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been, help me somebody, grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory to the revelation or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer, okay? Then we're going to just sort of break down, see what this is saying to us, okay? Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Dustin, will you bump me down just slightly, all right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for gathering us out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Lord, under the excited spirit of the resurrection. And we thank you that the virgin birth was such a miracle, God. And we thank you, Lord, that the work and the victory was won on the cross as Jesus bled and died for us. But, Lord, we, we rejoice this morning that it was the resurrection that proved it all. And so we thank you this morning that the tomb was empty, that as they sought Jesus among the dead, the angel said, why are you looking for him among the dead? He is risen. And so this morning, may that truth be proclaimed. As, you, as you've used this broken vessel, this less than ordinary man, God, would you help me through the gift you've given me and your Holy Spirit to proclaim this truth with boldness, clarity, and full of grace. And Lord, also, as you preach through me, preach to me because I just like anybody in the room, need to hear what you have to say. So would you speak from heaven, and would you do it in such a way as if every person within the sound of my voice would feel as if they were the only person in the room, and you, as a loving Father, were speaking directly to them face to face. So, Lord, would you speak and move? And I know lives are going to be transformed. I know God testimonies are beginning today, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to rewind, if I can, back to the beginning of our passage here, all right? Y'all look back with me in verse number three, and I've got about, I don't know, four or five things I'd like to highlight this morning. I don't want to give you a solid number just in case you might be watching the clock and wondering how fast you're going to get out, all right? Uh, now, they have put me on a time limit a little more constrained this morning because we've got to flip the parking lot. Uh, we got to get y'all out and get them in, all right? So, so uh, I'm going to try to be good and let the Lord, you know, help me with that, all right? So number one, if you're keeping some notes this morning, if you're our guest, you're going to notice a lot of people around you taking notes. The reason for that is we believe Jesus is the master teacher. He teaches us by his spirit and his word. But we want to be master students. And so when jot a few things down, I might do it on an envelope, a napkin or something, I don't know. But as you jot it down, then you can go and spend some time with the Holy Spirit by yourself. And you and him, he can continue to teach you a little deeper as we go along. Number one, in your notes, write this down if you will. Uh, uh, Peter is saying to the people who have lost everything, who are facing persecution, he reminds them in the very beginning of the letter that God is worthy to be praised. So would you write that down? God is worthy to be praised. Now, as you're writing that, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself not wanting to praise God? Now, now, see, we got some guests in the room that don't know. Now, let me tell you something about Hickory Ridge, all right? We are what we call an ugly, honest people. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to tell you your outfit don't match. That's just mean. That's not ugly, honest, okay? Ugly, honest means we are honest about where we are, okay? And so, honestly, there are times in my life when I have not felt like praising God. Now, I'm going to ask you again, see if I can kind of take the little defense mechanism down, all right? So how many of you by show of hands would say there's been at least an hour in your life when you just really didn't feel like, because of your circumstances, you just really didn't feel like praising God? Okay, yes, it's all of us. So look around, you're not alone. And don't you imagine this group of people were the same way? 
lost everything. Everybody's blaming them, so they're the outcasts in the, in the area, but they didn't cause it, but they're facing great persecution. And what God says through Peter to them is, blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word blessed uh, is not saying bless God. You know, what, what the literal word there is, it means praiseworthy. And isn't it interesting that he would begin the letter by saying, now, listen, I know you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, but I need to remind you that God is, in fact, praiseworthy. And I want to say to you this morning, I know that you've got things going on because life is full of things, right? And we are broken people living in a broken world. And because of that, life is full of things, difficult things. And because of that, this morning, in the power of the resurrection, I want to look you right in the face and remind you in the midst of your pain or confusion or just mundane everyday life that God is worthy to be praised. Now, as I tell you that this morning, I'm going to give you a list of five. Now, this doesn't count to the big number. This is just a, a subtopic, all right? Uh, these are little numbers under God is worthy to be praised. In other words, I'm going to give you now five reasons why, or, or I'm not going to, but God is going to through Peter, uh, give us five reasons why they should be with everything burned and facing all kinds of persecution, why they should praise God, why he's praiseworthy. And I pray those same five truths leap off the page and into your heart. And in the midst of whatever you're going through, whether it be uh, cancer, whether it be divorce, whether whatever you're going through, I pray these same five truths would leap off the pages into your heart. And and you leave out here today being reminded he's praiseworthy. He's praiseworthy. He's our living hope. All right, so here we go. All right, verse number three uh, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to begin to uh, list some things about why he's praiseworthy. So, little number one. I'm going to list five. Here they are. Five reasons he is praiseworthy. Number one, he has shown abundant mercy. Listen to what Peter says here in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his, y'all help me, abundant mercy. Two very important words. Mercy is getting, or excuse me, mercy is not getting what we do deserve, all right? So, in essence, um, when I would do things at home, and oftentimes my mom and daddy still would whip you. Did anybody, any of y'all's parents in here would whip you if you did wrong? And they would whip you. And so, uh, because of that, I knew when I broke their commands, I was going to get, if I got caught, I was going to get a whipping. And there were just a few times, just a few. I'm talking about like I could count on two fingers, Times that I broke their commands and I did not get a whipping. And in those times when I didn't get the whipping, I was shown mercy. I deserved them, but I did not get them. Is anybody tracking with me? And so now, he, he's saying, Peter's saying to the people, even though you're suffering, even though you're difficult, let me remind you that God is worthy to be praised because what you deserve is punishment. What you deserve is penalty. What you deserve is separation from God because all of humanity has broken the laws of God. Now, some of you may be sitting here today saying, well, I haven't broken the laws of God. And I would interject to you, what about the commandment that says, uh, thou shalt not commit murder? And if I was to ask the crowd today, does anybody in here uh, feel like maybe they have ever committed murder? There might be one among us. Some of y'all are looking at your neighbor right now, aren't you? Like, wonder if it's that person. And if I was to ask you that, most of you would say no. And I would ask you then, well, let's just look at Jesus' interpretation then of the law. Not man's interpretation, but Jesus's. Jesus said to his disciples, if you have harbored anger in your heart towards your brother, you have in fact committed Now my question for the crowd. How many of you have ever had anger in your heart towards another, another person? Raise your hand. Look at the murderers in the room. Oh, and by the way, mine, mine is raised as well. And did you know that according to God's righteous law and righteous standard, he says, if we've broken one law, we have broken the entirety of it, all of them. Uh, why? Because sin is sin? Well, you really can't find a verse in Scripture that says sin is sin. You've heard that all your life. Sin is sin, right? No, no, different sins have different penalties. 
In other words, if you overeat, there's going to be one particular penalty, but if you kill somebody, there's going to be some different penalties, right? Now, what the correct phrase is, guilty is guilty. Does that make sense? So if I've broken one of them, I've broken all of them, all right? So now we understand why Peter's able to say to these people, in the, resur- in the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, you have received mercy. Because of Jesus' suffering, because of his agony, because he was willing to be spit on and dressed up like a puppet king, because he endured the pain and the shame of the cross, you will not get what you deserve because Jesus did. Now I want to say to you this morning, one of the strongest phrases in the Scripture to me and to my heart is this. He says, he has not dealt with us according to our sin. I'm so thankful this morning. When that alarm went off at 4 and I hit the snooze, and at 4.03, I rolled over, and I thought, I missed the first service. I missed the first service. I rolled over, and it was 4.03. I said, glory to God. I didn't miss the first service. Uh, I was reminded this great joy r- r- rang over my heart that I'll never experience one ounce of the wrath of God because Jesus took it for me. What a powerful statement. So he says, he has shown us abundant mercy. I've got to move on, all right? Uh, mercy is uh, getting what you don't deserve. I'm, excuse me, not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. Now, secondly, in this list, five reasons why uh, he's praiseworthy, no matter what I'm facing. Number one, he is abundant mercy. Abundant meaning more than is needed, all right? Number two, he has given us a second birth. All right, so listen to what Peter's reminding them. Hey, by the way, these are big ticket items, Amen. <laughs> Compared to your house burning, compared to uh, temporary sicknesses and illnesses, these are big ticket things, right? God has shown you mercy. You'll never taste his wrath. If you're in Jesus, you'll never taste his wrath. Now, listen, I need you to understand something. These promises are to the people of God. You say, well, we're all God's children. I say to you, heavens, no, we're not. Only those who have been born a second time, born again. And so he talks about it here uh, still. Number two, he has given us a second verse, still in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his, y'all help me, abundant mercy, he has begotten us again. Now, what does that mean? That word means that we have been born another time, all right? Now, if you'll remember with me, and write this in your notes there, John chapter 3, there's a conversation about this second birth between a Pharisee and Jesus. Now, remember, the Pharisees were the religious elite. They were old covenant guys. Part of their training was they memorized the first five books of the Bible. Can you imagine that? If you met a Pharisee out in in town, you'd say, that's the most godly man I've ever seen. He looked the part on the outside. I mean, he just did it to a T, and he could quote to you. Can you imagine quoting Genesis? And he could do that from memory. And he, uh, they hated Jesus because Jesus represented that man would no longer need a system of people like bishops and cardinals and popes to reach God. Uh, All we would need was Jesus to have relationship with the Father. Isn't that beautiful? And they hated that because Jesus did away with all the systems. And what he did was he made possible for the Jew and the Gentile to be in the same family and to be called God's children. So uh, the Pharisee, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night, and he said to Jesus in that conversation, you're a good teacher, John chapter 3. Jesus responded to that flattering word, you're a good teacher. He responded this way, you ready? Can you imagine walking up? And he said, Jesus, you're a good teacher. And Jesus looked him right in the face and said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a verbal train wreck, by the way. I'd not recommend that when people walk up to you and give you a word of flattery, you speak back to them such pointed words, unless you're the son of God. And he knew there was no need to to compliment Nicodemus' shoes or the color of his hair or how nice he had been or he was a good old boy, you know, give you the shirt off his back. Jesus knew that without a second birth, Nicodemus would in fact, oh, watch, I'm going to tie this back, would in fact taste the wrath of God. 
And it is possible for Nicodemus to be made right with God, but not by his righteous activity, not by memorizing all the Scripture, but by receiving Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. He said, you got to be born a second time. Nicodemus is a little confused by that because he's a kind of intelligent guy. You know, we think we're really intelligent, especially when we're dealing with the things of God. And we hardly can wrap our little logic around the things of God because God is not confined to the little small logic of man. So Nicodemus says, I don't understand. How can I be born a second time? I'm a grown man. I can't go back in my mother's womb. This doesn't make sense to me. And Jesus said, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't get what I'm trying to tell you. And he says, you've been born of the flesh, but you have to also be born of the spirit. That's just John chapter 3. You ought to go home and read it. This should be your Easter dessert after your nap this afternoon. No calories. You don't have to worry about putting on any pounds. And so Jesus says back to him, uh, you must be born again. He said, I can't go back in my mother's womb. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, it's like the wind. So if I was to ask you today about the wind, and I'm, I'm looking at a room full of logical people. I believe I am. You got your shoes tied, and you're dressed up, and you got here. And so by logic, I would ask you, what color is the wind? And you'd say, it has no color. And if I was to walk around the room and just point at you and say, all right, tell me the size of the wind. How tall is it? You'd look crazy at me. I'd say, listen, what color? you say, I don't know. i say, what does it smell like? One of you say rose. One of you say a dead animal. i say, depends on what it's blowing across. So the wind has no smell, no, no shape, no size, no color. And so every logical test that says something is something you can't give me an information. So I would then ask you the next logical question. Do you then believe in wind? And you would say, and I would say, that's illogical. What's wrong with you? How can you believe in something you can't see, you can't taste, you can't touch? How in heaven's name can you believe? And your response to me would be, I feel it or I can see the evidence of it. And so Jesus said the second birth is like the wind. You can't see it. Your first birth, they got a picture of your little pink swollen up self, right? And that's what we say. Oh, it's the cutest little baby. And really look like you mashed them with something. They've swollen up, you know? It look like they've been in an accident, you know? They're swollen up, and they take a little time to swelling to go down, and the heads to round out. And they have a picture of that, and they have the how tall you were. Well, long is what they do, you know, because you can't stand yet. But on your second birth, the moment you receive Jesus as Lord, you look the same. You're the same height. Your eyes are still the same color. I mean, if you'd come to tell me that, hey, listen, I was born again, I would say, well, I can't tell by looking at you, but I'm going to have to take your word for it. But what I will, in fact, look for is what you look for when you say that there is wind, and that is evidence. And what I want to say to you today is there are some of us in here that think you have a second birth because maybe you prayed a prayer somewhere as a little kid at vacation. You did something back there. You really don't even remember when or where or how. But if you look at your life, it's no different than the average Joe. You just look like everybody who does not know God. And you have to wrestle with that today. Because the scripture says, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As we walk through the journey, he, Peter's saying to them, man, you need to be, God is praiseworthy because he's shown us abundant mercy because also he's given us a second birth. Let me move to number three. Hey, by the way, we already have enough, don't we? We have enough to praise him even when things are difficult. So he's shown us abundant mercy. Number two, he has given us, y'all help me, a Second birth, Jesus died and rose again so we could be forgiven, and by believing in such a way that we receive Jesus, we surrender to Jesus, we give Jesus the throne of our heart, we are born a second time. And it happens, and he begins to change us from the inside. That's the most amazing thing. I get to see it happen so often around here. Number three, if you're, five reasons why he's praiseworthy. Number three, he has moved us to a living hope. All right? So listen in as, the, as the letter continues. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, according to his abundant mercy. 
Number two, he has begotten us again. We've been born again, and he's moved us to, here it is, a living hope. I shared with you a testimony as we got started of a life lived, putting hope in things that were not living but were in fact dead. You see, when you turn to dead things and try to have a living hope, it'll mess your joy up. Somebody amen right there. When you hope in your parents and they let you down, when you hope in your friends and they let you down, when you hope in your career and they let you down or your body lets you down or you hope in a sport and it lets you down or you hope in alcohol but you get sober and you have to drink it again the next day. And there's all of these things that we hope in that are dead and do not produce life and therefore will rob us of joy rather than producing joy. Isn't it interesting that we turn to things that really can't bring joy to the human heart too often, we, me and you, have misplaced our hope. I've shared with you guys many times with one of my children who struggled with drugs a number of years ago that when I first came to light in my life, I was a broken man, really broken. I mean, when I say broken, I couldn't say words. It was about three days where all I could do was cry. Just with, And I'm not a big cry because I've seen a lot of things, and sadly, because I've been through a lot of things with a lot of you, it sort of desensitized my heart. It's hard for me sometimes to cry. Sometimes I have to say, Lord, please help me to cry. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't have to pray that time and ask him to help me cry. And as that thing unfolded, as, as the journey continued there, I was, I was reminded that uh, by a dear friend over in Georgia, as I received a text message who said to me, dear pastor brother, right, dear friend of mine, he says, let me remind you of something. We cannot rest our hope in anything other than our resurrected Savior, comma, comma, not even the sobriety of our children. First time I read it, I was ready to fight. Don't tell me, who do you think you are writing me a... And then I was reminded that he's the guy who's got a daughter at 42 who'd been addicted to heroin for a long time. And I was reminded that God picked just the right man to speak truth to me that helped me move from complete and utter brokenness where, where I just was almost uh, unusable, if you will, uh, to the place where I said, Lord, remind me that you're risen from the dead. Remind me that you've shown me abundant mercy. Remind me that you have... I've been born again because of what you've done. And so no matter what happens next, you are good, and I'm going to trust you. And I want to tell you today, living hope is so much better than a dead hope. So he's praiseworthy because he's shown us abundant mercy, gave us a second birth, moved us to a living hope, and it sure does feel good to wake up and have living hope. Number four, he has provided for us an inheritance. Is anybody convinced yet he ought to be praiseworthy? Well, if more of y'all would have said amen, I was going to say amen, and we would have left early. But I'm glad you didn't because we're going to finish this thing. Amen. Aren't you glad you didn't respond right there? And so we'd have left out of here early, and I don't want that. Verse number four, to an inheritance. An inheritance. How many of you know what an inheritance is? Someone dies, and what they own, what they possess is passed to someone else. Now, an inheritance is not, is not received. It's, it can't be really, you can't receive your inheritance before they go, Right? Uh, because it's not really an inheritance then. It's more of a just transferring of, of goods. But an inheritance is, is activated at the death of the one who is providing the inheritance. Oh, he died on the cross. And what he offers to his children is this wonderful inheritance. Now listen to what he says in verse 4. To an inheritance, I love this word, incorruptible and undefiled and that does not, help me somebody, fade away. And, and it's reserved in this wonderful place called heaven. And this inheritance, I used to tell the guys we were laying asphalt, boy, it'd be a hot August day. We'd be working on that asphalt. And I'd say, aren't you guys glad that the streets of heaven are paved with gold? And we won't be patching them, amen, because they're undefiled. They do not fade. There'll be no more painting. How many of you love to paint? Uh-huh. Aren't you glad? 
Aren't you glad that the walls of heaven, the doors of heaven never require a paint job? Hallelujah. He says they, are un, they do not fade. The shiny joy and treasure of heaven will never change. Think about this. Can you imagine never for a moment ever suffering again? Not one moment. Not a pain in your tooth. Not a pain in your head. Not a pain in your back. No physical pain. You know the scripture says there's no more tears there. Can you imagine what it would be like to never cry again? Can you imagine what it would be like to never say goodbye again? Can you just for a second fathom what the beauty of heaven looks like with the jewels and the, and the walls being different levels of jewels and the wonderful things that the Scripture talks about heaven, uh, the fact that all of these, one, and that Jesus is there. I can't wait to hug him. And that inheritance was purchased for me. So now you begin to see this picture. Their homes are burned. They've lost everything. Everybody's blaming them. Life is more than impossible. But he's reminding them this is temporary. You're not going to be here forever. You're just passing through here. You don't belong here. This is not your home. You're a citizen of heaven, amen, and you're traveling through like a sojourner, and one of these days you're going to get home, and when you're home, you'll forget all the nonsense that you went through down here. And Jesus did that. He died on the cross and rose again, and he offers it to whosoever will call on his name. I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, he's praiseworthy, amen? He's worthy to be praised. He's a living hope and not a dead hope. So he has provided this wonderful inheritance. And by the way, I've told you before, I've got to say this before I move on, I'm so thankful that that day I'll be rid of me. And you say, wait a minute, aren't you going to heaven? Yeah, I am, the part of me that's been redeemed. But Paul referred to this old nature as the body of death. And that's going to go back to the earth. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I won't have to put up with me anymore. I've told you many times, the person at Hickory Ridge that gives me the most trouble, he goes to bed with me at night, he wakes up with me, he's with me at lunchtime and breakfast, and everywhere I go, he goes, and I wish I could get 10 minutes break from him, and that person is me. And yet I'll not have a break from me until I take my last breath or Jesus returns in the clouds, and I can't wait. I cannot wait. I told somebody yesterday, you know, maybe the Lord will take me home. Y'all can have an Easter egg hunt without me, and y'all will have a blast opening that candy, and, and, uh, and Gerald or Brian, and one of them will preach, uh, resurrect, and I'll be celebrating with my Savior, but he chose not to, and I'm all right. I'm going to keep serving with joy until I get there, but one day I'm going to be rid of me, and I won't have to fight the old nature anymore. Hallelujah, what an inheritance. And then, and then verse number five, I'm telling you he's praiseworthy. Look at verse number five. He says, who is kept by your, y'all looking at verse five? Everybody's eyes on verse five. Yes, yes, head nod, do something, blink, raise your hand, do something. So I know you're awake. All right, here we go, verse five. Who are kept by your good deeds. Huh? My Bible doesn't say that either. Who are kept by, somebody help me. So you mean tell me not only he purchased my salvation with the suffering of his own son, but you're telling me that he's able to keep me saved? It's why you hear me say from time to time, I went to bed saved last night. Glory to God, I got up saved. And I'm walking out today, and I'm, listen, sometimes I'm going to mess up and, and just look like an idiot and look more like Adam than I do like Jesus. But hallelujah, even in those dark moments, even in those moments of failure, uh, because Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life, I'm kept by the power of God for salvation. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad it doesn't depend on you and how quick you can repent and how good you can be today, but that if you put your living, the hope in the living Savior, you are kept by, somebody help me, the power of God. And that power is unrivaled. It's unmatched. Uh, we can't wrap our minds around it. So we are kept. So number, reason number five was he will keep us. And I'm so thankful that he'll keep us and not discard us. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, we've only experienced a measure of our salvation, but when we get to heaven, we'll get to experience the full measure of what Jesus accomplished as he won the victory 
on that cross as he bled and died. Oh, I'm so thankful today he rose again. Anybody else glad he rose again? Number two, all right, so we said number one was God is worthy to be praised. Number two, so we really can always have joy. It's just a little statement, if you will, for number two. It's just verse six. We're going to hit it quickly, right, because we're running out of time. Number six is, in this you greatly rejoice. Can we say that together? In this you greatly in what? In those five things we just talked about. So, again, tying living hope to joy. Do you see it? When I've placed my hope in the living hope, then I'm going to have joy. When I don't have joy, it's because I've misplaced my hope. I sometimes misplace my hope, and I listed some things like my parents, like sports, like my career, like, like, like alcohol or substances, or the knight in shining armor, the perfect man, or the perfect woman, or having children, or whatever I dream up that's going to bring me hope. But all those things have no capacity to sustain themselves, but God does. And Jesus is our living hope. And when he's our living hope, we can have joy. Listen, I have seen the strangest joy with these two blue eyes in these 45 45 years of journeying. And what I mean by that, I have seen this strange form of joy at the graveside of loved ones, of children. I've seen it in parents of kids. I've seen it in husbands of wives who are in the casket. I've seen it in wives whose husbands are in the casket. I've seen it in best friends whose best friends are in the casket. I've seen this strange joy that as hot tears flow, they have a smile. They have, a, they have a, a joy that's it's living, even though maybe the person that they loved and they enjoyed is, is dead, their body is dead. They have this hope because of Jesus, and what happens next? It's the most amazing joy. It's a strange joy. It's a joy that sometimes is accompanied with tears of pain. As we move on from that, so we really can have joy. Somebody in the room is really wondering, can I possibly have joy? And the answer is yes, but you cannot have it if you misplace your hope. If you put your hope in the outcome of your circumstances, you're never going to have a sustained joy. That's not a living hope. Jesus is the living hope. So we uh, are or can always have joy. Number three, see how quickly we're moving on now? Number three, if you will, the Christian life. Now, I need to tell you this because somebody may have lied to you, and I need to tell you to you just exactly like this. That is just going to come on the overhead. Read it with me. Number three, the Christian life is not all. Okay. All right. Now, we need to deal with that, don't we? Because somewhere along the line, somebody told us or we dreamed it up on our own that if we would just say a prayer, you know, repeat somebody by saying, you know, I believe, I believe, you died for me, you died for me, please come save me, and we repeat after somebody. We believe that if we would do that, then, then, then all of a sudden life was going to be lollipops and gumdrops. You know, kids love lollipops. I watched, uh, I watched a kid fall at, at, at the Easter egg hunt yesterday. They fell down, and they were crying, you know, and somebody walked up and handed them a lollipop, and it was the most amazing thing. Those tears, I mean, the kid was screaming and crying real tears. moment that kid locked in on that lollipop, tears were gone. Uh, lollipops make things better, right? But the Christian life is not always lollipops and gumdrops. You need to know today that the Christian life, that that Jesus is not offering to us a perfect, easy, simple, easy way of living until we go home. No. Remember the audience here. 
that he's dealing with. They've lost everything in fire, and they're being persecuted and blamed for everybody else's loss. And so wouldn't it be ridiculous for us to come to them and say, hey, just think positive, and everything will be better? Yeah, live your best life now. Here's 10 steps. Live your best life now. Think positive, you know, to your best destiny. And you, Can you imagine telling that to these people? And it'd be absurd to tell them that. And I'm going to say it'd be absurd for me to tell you that. It'd be absurd for you to tell me that because, well, we're living in a fallen world full of fallen people. And also, God uses difficulty. Now, let me read, if I can, verse number 6, all right? So we're just walking through this text, and you notice that we're almost finished, right? All right, so the Christian life is not all lollipops, y'all help me, and gumdrops. Listen to verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. We said there is joy. There is joy. Although... Now for, somebody help me, a little while. Now, thanks be to God, our trials are temporary. If need be, in other words, there's a need for a trying to come when they come. You have been grieved by various trials. There's some difficulty, right, that you're facing. And so he's saying that there's going to be some need in your life or difficulty. Now, here's what people will tell you sometimes. You ready? They'll say, man, God will never put on us more than we can stand. And that is an outright lie. You can't find it in Scripture that God promised us, hey, lollipops and gumdrops. Anytime it gets too hard, I'm just going to take you to a land of lollipops and gumdrops. Uh, No. In fact, God will allow me and you to experience more than we can handle to show us that we need to desperately run to a Father who can always meet our need in every hour of every day. He, he lets us go through things that finally put us on our face where we say, okay, I'm stopping doing it by myself. And Lord, like Jonah in the belly of that great fish, I need your help. I need your help. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, some of the greatest times in my life is when I've had things in my life that were too great for me to overcome. It's helped me. It strengthened my faith. It's moved me closer to God. And that's why he allows it, all right? So the Christian life is not all lollipops and gumdrops. Our most difficult seasons are accomplishing things. Are you with me? Now let me share with you finally, all right, number five. And this is finally. We're going to land the plane here. Y'all ready? Can you listen quickly as we get finished? Yes? So number five, the difficulty has great purpose. So because it's not all lollipops and gumdrops, then we must say that some of it's going to be hard. Not all of it, but some of it. Would you agree with that statement? Some of life is hard. Anybody else in the room would agree? All the way in the back, back there. I can barely see y'all way back there. Y'all, Mr. Allen, you, you've lived a long time. You believe there's some difficulty in life? Yeah, he's back at the back door nodding too. Life, life is difficult. There's some difficult things that we go through in, in the journey. So, so we need to understand that. Uh, God isn't up there just saying, ha-ha, watch this. Um, he's up there saying, man, this, there's a difficulty going on, but it's going to produce something good. It's going to plow up the ground. It's going to allow for some new growth. It's going to prune the bush back so it can produce more fruit. Oh, and listen to what he says in verse number 7, that the genuineness, we go through these trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold. See, the genuineness of your faith is the most valuable thing you have, if your faith is real or not. Because if your faith is not real, you will end up in a lake of fire called hell, separated from God forevermore. That's pretty important. And God cares. And it's why he allows us to be tested and to face some difficulty, to see if our faith really is faith, and it's not just, you know, something that we do. He he allows some testing that the faith that we have are refined, like when you take uh, gold ore and iron ore out of the rock and you heat it up to get the impurities out. It's the same principle. 
Let me read on if I can. Verse number 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested, y'all help me by, maybe you're here today and you're going through some fire. And you know, you came and you said, you know, it's Easter and I'm going to gather. Maybe you've not been in, in, in church, to church in a while and you've been disconnected because, well, I don't know what the reason is. And, and, and truth is, it really doesn't matter right now because that was then and this is now. And God has brought you here to remind you that in the midst of your difficulty, there's a living hope. And it's a, it's a relationship with a risen Lord. And it's lived out through the community of other believers where the Word of God is preached and you have people around you that can encourage and cheer you on and that you can plug into and be used. Can you imagine if all of us get consistent and faithful in our walk, what God will do through this gathering, if all of us will say, I'm here to serve. You see, Hebrews 10.25, when it talks about don't forsake the gathering, that word literally means don't abandon the gathering. So, you know, I'm praying that, that, that everybody that comes today will be back next week. And God will really begin to stir, and we'll begin to commit our lives to him. And we'll all walk in this living hope because it ain't all lollipops and gumdrops. We're going to need each other. And that we'll serve the Lord and serve the world together. And I can't just, I sometimes lay awake in bed at night and think about what will happen when we all get involved and the difference we'll make in the kingdom and how a thousand years from now we'll be able to look back and say, man, look at that season God gave us down there. Woo, look what, what he accomplished through us. So we really can't have joy. The Christian life's not all lollipops and gumdrops. And then finally, the difficulty has great purpose. He says that your faith, I'm into verse 7, that it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, this fiery trials that we go through cannot destroy, they can only refine. Gold placed in the fire is refined, it's not destroyed. There's a place in the Scriptures that talks about God holds us in the fire like a silversmith. And I'll never forget, at one point in my life, I heard an interview between someone and a silversmith, and they were asking about this Scripture, and they said, I want to learn a little bit more about how a silversmith works, and so can I ask you a few things? And the question kind of went back and forth, like an interview style, if you will. And the interviewer asked the question, well, let me ask you this, how hot does the fire have to be in order to uh, boil out the impurities of the silver? And the, the silversmith said, well, it has to be the hottest, the white hot, the hottest of fire to cause those impurities, to, the dross, to come to the top. And the next question was posed, and that's why sometimes the trial you face seems almost unbearable. And the next question was posed, how long do you hold the silver in the fire? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? You ever find yourself saying, Lord, how long is this going to keep going? And the answer of the silversmith said, that's the easiest question you've asked me today. And the interviewer said, well, I'd like to know. Would you please tell me? Because, I'm, I, I mean, how do you know that you don't hold it too long or you get it out too early? And, and the silversmith said, we hold it in the fire until I see my reflection in the silver. And so I want you to see today that God will allow you to stay also in the fire in the difficulty of life, that your living hope produces in you the character and the nature of Jesus. In other words, till he sees his face in you. And today I want you just to ponder that as the rest of this day unfolds. That as Jesus was beaten and crucified and the disciples went through this roller coaster of emotions from the garden, we're going with you all the way. And by the way, if you'll read carefully, it wasn't just Peter that said it. It says, and all the disciples agreed. They all said, we're going with you. We'll never, until the moment came where the rubber met the road, everybody scattered. And Jesus went alone to the cross and endured the wrath of God. You see, it wasn't the enemy. It wasn't Satan that was beating Jesus. It wasn't Satan who was being paid off. It was God who we defended. 
And Jesus provided us a second birth and a living hope because he paid the price that we owed. And they took his body off of the cross and they lowered it down, wrapped it in linen, and they placed it in a tomb. And you'll remember as the temple, as the high priest went to Pilate, and they said, listen, we, these disciples of his, are cr- they're crazy. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You read it. That they, are, they called Jesus the deceiver. They said, this deceiver said he was going to rise up the third day, so we need, to, we need to do something. And Pilate responded by saying, you seal it the best way you know how. So they, they pick a really large stone, larger than normal. Second thing they do is they seal it really well. And the third thing they do, surely three levels of protection will keep it from happening, right? And so they set some guards outside to make sure nobody snuck in and stole the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, although their planning was wonderful, I would have to say I'd give them kudos. They planned well. I don't know if I'd have planned three different ways. I probably would have just stuck some guards out there and left it at that. But they were really smart people. They planned for every way that man might get in and take his body, but what they didn't plan for is the fact that God was going to walk out. And so this morning, I want to just invite you, if you would, to bow your head with me for just a moment. I want you to think about and consider the power of the resurrection. Listen to what he said. I'm going to read the verse to you again with heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen closely. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he rose, you and I can have a living hope. My question for you today is, do you have a living hope? Have you placed all of your hope and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the answer? As we're still for just a moment, I want you to consider your testimony. And as the music begins to play, I want you just to consider for a moment. A testimony should have three parts. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just three parts to your testimony. They should look like Paul's testimony, his life before Christ. He said, I was formerly a violent and an insolent man. So my question this morning is you're thinking about your testimony, three parts. First part, who were you before you gave your life to Jesus? Paul said, I was violent and insolent man. Second part of his testimony. He said, on the road to Damascus, bright light shone down, and that voice declared himself to be Jesus. And Paul said, I said to him, Lord, what do you want me to do? So first part of his testimony was his life before Christ. Second part of his testimony is when he called Jesus Lord, when he confessed Jesus as Lord. And the third part of his testimony, he's standing before a Roman king, Agrippa, and he says, now I'm here telling you, the people I used to chase down and kill, I'm, I'm now risking my life to tell you that Jesus Christ is your only hope. What's your testimony? He's our living hope. Are you missing out on that? Have you been looking for hope in all the wrong places? Have you, like me, turned over every rock and tried every other thing? And wouldn't today be a perfect day to put all your hope, all your hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of God's only Son? His name is Jesus. And did you know you can do it this morning? It's not too late for you. And I believe with all my heart, he'll transform you from the inside out. He has me. And listen, if he can save me and forgive me, he can save and forgive anybody. I'm not talking about just praying a prayer and I'll see you next year. I'm talking about fully committing your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where salvation's found. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you if you would, we can do two things at once. Stand to your feet with me if you would, if you can physically, if you're able to stand. Would you stand still in the spirit of prayer? 
But I'd also say that the altar's open. And maybe there is somebody who'd come to the altar and just began to pray the Spirit of God would move. I wonder if there's a brother or a sister in the house that would just make their way down the altar on this Resurrection Sunday and began to pray, Holy Spirit, would you move? Thank you. There's a brother willing. There's some other folk willing. Just come and pray. pray. Pray today be a day of change, a day of new beginning, a day where somebody puts their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray somebody who's been searching in all the wrong places. Pray somebody whose joy has not been full. Pray somebody who has just prayed a prayer but never truly invited Jesus to be Lord. Pray with me with all your heart that somebody would be radically saved, gloriously saved, forgiven and set free in Jesus' name. Now, as they're praying, I want to just sort of speak to the crowd if I could. Is it you they're praying for? Is it you the Holy Ghost of God has been after hot on your tail? chasing after you and circumstances and conversations and now he's got you still and on this resurrection Sunday he's offering to you forgiveness and relationship and living hope now Father I pray in Jesus name that you would take this time of response and God whether it be somebody needs to join whether it be somebody here needs to follow through in baptism Lord whether it be that somebody today needs to invite Jesus Christ as Lord I pray they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to not be ashamed so would you please move now move according to your word move according to your power and we ask that you'd bind Satan and self from how we respond and I ask it this morning in Jesus name Amen